Amen, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you rule and you reign. Lord, you're first. Lord, we just thank you for that great price that you paid for us, Lord. For dying and for rising again for us. Lord, we're just so thankful for that, Lord. We ask that you would speak once again to our hearts, Lord. Give us ears to ears what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Family Church. I love how in our worship this morning, we sang elements of every part of my message and every single song from the grains of the seashore that he has numbered to calling and praising him for being redeemer, that he sets kings and nations on paths of all the things that we've already sang. We are going to dig into those very truths this morning, what a privilege it is that we can sing those truths before we hear these truths as well. Would you pray with me as we begin in Ephesians chapter 1? Let's pray. God, we do ask that you do speak to us. We know that we are unworthy to hear from you. God, I pray that you may speak through me. God, we know that we are lowly, but you are not. God, we know that you receive glory in your word being declared. God, help our hearts to hear what you would have us hear. God, change us, challenge us, convict us, confront us. Help us to give you the praise and honor that you deserve. God, we thank you for these great truths that we're about to dig into more in your word. We give you praise this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our series in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, if you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, Terry mentioned last week, verses 3 through 14 is one continuously long sentence. And Paul put a lot of things in that one sentence. It wasn't just like one point. He had multiple points. And in these verses, we, we hear of God the Father, God the Son, and then also God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is in all of these verses. And there's different works. There's the work of the Father, which Terry went over last week. There's the work of the Son that we're going to be looking at today. And also the work of the Holy Spirit, which we're also going to be looking at today. Um, we've heard from various people in the church that you have been digging into these truths. In your connect groups, you've been discussing things that you might have never thought of before. And so we've heard many of you thinking on these things and challenging and questioning and trying to grapple with some deep concepts. And that is exciting for us to hear these things. These are good things. It's good to dig into because God gave us the word and everything in it for us to understand our view of him and also to understand our view of ourselves. And so these deep doctrines, and even though they may be very tough to comprehend, they should bring him glory and put us in our place. And we may not understand them, and there's a limited amount of information we can learn at one time, but that's why he is God and we are not. That's why we give him praise because he has it all figured out and we're working on it. And so we're continuing in this same line of thinking this morning. My purpose is, is one this morning. I want us to come to an end of ourselves 
Because when we come to an end of ourselves and we begin to learn about God, we are going to be grasping at every little thing about God that we can. When we come to an end of ourselves, if you're drowning in water, it's not until you're drowning do you start grasping for anything near. And that's where our relationship with God should be. We need to come to an end of ourselves. And when we understand how big, mighty, glory, magnificent, and perfect, and wise he is, and these doctrines hit on a lot of these things and they question some foundation, we come to that end of ourselves. We're going to be grasping for the things of God, even the things that are very difficult to understand, but they're for his glory and they're for our joy. So I want to ask a question in line with that. And all of us need to come up with an answer for it. And the question is, why, you know, if you're Christian in here, why did God save you? I just want you to maybe scribble down an answer. Why did he save you? Do you have something in your mind why God would do that? Many people say because he loves me. Because he is love. Well, ask another question. Why is it God loves you? Are there lovable characteristics? Are there good things that a perfect God should love in you? That question, drawn out, should lead us to an end of ourselves. I started thinking of this question. What's going to drive this message is, why did God, you can fill in the blank, why did God choose you? Why did God love you? Why did God save you? Why did he do the things he did? Why did he see fit that you're in Marco Island. Why did he see fit that you were born in the United States? It says he plans all the nations. He plans all the people and their inhabitants in every day. It says all the span of their years where they live. He plans those things from the beginning of time, it says in Acts. Why did he do this for you? Well, I started thinking of this question and I thought, I wonder what some residents of Marco Island would answer. Those who profess to be Christians. So I went out this week and did a little questionnaire um, for those on Marco, and you're going to see just four of about 10 responses that we we have that's going to kind of help build this case. You're going to hear a lot of opinions of why people think God saved them. So take a look here. Morning, Family Church. Just getting here at South Beach and wanted to do a questionnaire with a couple of people. Just pulled up and uh, pulled up right beside us is Tim, and I saw he was wearing a a cross necklace, and I said, we're going to grab him first for the survey. So, Morton, how are you? How are you I'm good. A uh, couple of questions. Too. Oh, sorry about that. Which spiritual group best defines you? Christian, agnostic, atheist, what would it be? Christian. Christian, all right. Um, I have a question for you. Do you think that God saves people? I, I think God saves people. Yeah, saves that, them from, like, sins, born again. I think that people come to salvation through accepting Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Okay, great. Um, why do you think that God does save people? Why does he do that? Why he saves them? Yeah. Because a man, a man is in sin. Mm-hmm. Man is in disobedience to God. Mm-hmm. So, he, so God made a provision for man mm-hmm. to be saved. Mm-hmm. If they come to Christ, they will be saved. Yep. So yes, men, the condition of man. Mm-hmm. goes back, they'll blame it on your mommy and daddy, but it yep. goes back to Adam and Eve. Yep. And, and why does he do that? Does he do it because we are good or because he is good? Or what in him desires him to, to save us? I guess you would look for love. Yeah, love? Because yes. he loves us? Because he loves us, yes. Um, we were yet sinners. Christ died for yep. us. Was there anything good in us that could help us love God? 
Is there anything good in us that could help us love him? Like, did he love us because we loved him, or did... Uh, quick question for you. Does God save people? Does he save people, like, from their sins, or are people to be born again? Sure. Okay. Uh, would you call yourself born again or saved? I've always been a Christian. Okay. So, um, quick question. He keeps me on a straight path. Yes. <laughs> Why did God save you, Barbara? Why did he do that? Um... Well, Jesus saved all of us when mm-hmm. he died on the cross. Okay. So I, that's sort of the way I look at it. Yep. I think I have to keep myself on a good path. Yeah. But. So, uh, but was there anything good in you worth saving? Yes. Okay. What What might those things have been good um, in you? I'm a charitable person. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a kind person. Yeah. I think about other people. Yeah. I hope that I have, um, I hope I accomplished something here that would have been his work. Mm willfully and we know we sinned against him we do it often you know mm-hmm. and, and we've done these things over and over when we go through the ten commandments like have you ever told a lie before oh yes have you ever stolen anything before in your whole life yes okay have you ever dishonored your parents oh, yes okay yes we go through this whole list we've broken every single one god anybody if and, and jesus said <laughs> i haven't committed adultery jesus said if you look at lust have you ever looked at lust at another man Yes. Okay. Jesus said if you've looked at lust, you know what you've done in your oh, heart? You've committed adultery. You've committed adultery. Yeah. And over in First John, it says that if you hated somebody, you know, you just had this dislike, you, you've committed actual murder in your heart. And I've done both of those too. You know, so when I go through those Ten Commandments, every single one I've broken. And if God gave me what I deserve, it wouldn't be eternity in heaven. It would right. be eternity in hell. Right. But God did something. And what was that thing? He sent his son. He sent his son, and we can. And so Jesus paid that penalty that you deserved and I deserved. And and so we put our faith and our trust in that. You know, he's good. What spiritual group best defines you? Would it be Christian, agnostic, atheist? Christian. Okay. Um, So do you believe that God saves us from something or that he does some type of work in us? I believe that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be saved. Okay, great. Um, Why did God choose to save you personally? Why did he do that? Because of his grace. Because of his grace? Yes. How how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells me that whoever believes on his name will be saved. Okay, great. Um, And so he's basing this not on... You, but he's basing it no. on who? On his son, Jesus, who died for us. On, on his son, yeah, and because yes. of his grace. Right. Great. That's... Because if it, if it depended on me to be saved, I would not be saved oh. because I'm just a sinner yeah. saved by grace. Amen. So had about 10 different conversations that we went through, and, and that one before with Barbara. And I asked her, so why did God save you? She claimed to be a Christian. I said, why did God save you? And, and she looked, and, and she said, I don't know. That's a great question. You know, and that's a, lot of, that's a lot of the responses I got of people would proclaim to be Christian. Are you Christian? You know, I'd go through what best defines you, and they'd say Christian. Well, what does God do for you? What does he do as being a Christian? And people would look staringly, blankly of, I don't know. I actually never actually thought about what Christianity's for. And that is in our community right around us and and having great conversations. But the question of why did God save you is a question that should bring us to an end of ourselves. Do you know that in 1 Peter it says, Even that the angels, the prophets puzzled 
over these things concerning salvation, but even the angels long to look into why God saved us. Because they see God and who he is and his majesty and perfection, and then they look over at us, and then they're trying to figure out, the Bible talks about the angels, trying to figure out why God would have anything to do with us. And it says they puzzle and look long into figuring these things out. So I want us to be in Ephesians. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6. We're going to go over what Terry went over a little bit last week, and then we're going to move into verse 10. So follow along with me in reading. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This morning, we're going to continue along in verse 7. And it says, starting out, in him. That is, we've now transitioned from God the Father it was talking about God the Father has blessed us, and he blessed us with a couple of things. Now in verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now we're talking about the work of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the work of the Son. Let's continue in verse 7. In him we have. Those two words, we have. Is that present tense? Past tense? Future tense? It's right now. We presently have the things we're about to look through in the rest of verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption. Redemption through his blood. Point number one this morning is we have redemption. Redemption is the major focus of the work of Jesus Christ. Redemption. We've already sang songs that talked about redemption. What that means. Well, there's a couple of definitions for the word redemption. One word is exagorazo. So this comes from two Greek words. Garazo means to buy, and exa means to buy out of something. So this was used in the terms of like a slave um, context to where there's a slave market, and you go there to buy people who had sold themselves into slavery. Not how we know slavery here in the past, but they would sell themselves into slavery. You'd go to the slave market, and if you're going to garazo a slave, you're going to buy one. If you're going to exagorazo a slave, you're going to buy out a slave from the slave market, never to be sold there again. That's what redemption means. We were slaves to sin, the Bible says. All we could do was sin. That's unregenerate man. That's the only thing man desired to do. We were in the slave market of sin. Exagorazo means Jesus Christ went into that slave market and bought us out, never to be sold and the slavery market of sin again. That's one definition of exagorazo, redemption. Another one is luo. Now, luo is different than exagorazo. I mean, I could buy a slave then, go home, and that person's still a slave, right? He's just never going to be sold in the slave market again. Well, luo, redemption, this, this term of redemption called luo means to set free, to loose, to be given freedom. So when you look at these different definitions of the word redemption, Jesus went in, bought us out of the slave market of sin, and didn't just keep us a slave to sin, though never to be sold again. He actually brought us out and set us free from sin. 
There's multiple of these definitions that talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. And this redemption is a major, major theme. There's a short story illustration that kind of illustrates the point of what it means to be redeemed, to redeem something. It goes like this. In a city on the shore of a great lake, there once lived a small boy who loved the water and sailing. So deep was his fascination that he, and the help of his father, spent months making a beautiful model boat, which he began to sail at the water's edge. One day, a sudden gust of wind took his boat that he made with his father, took it way out into the middle of the lake where he couldn't see it. He returned home inconsolable, angry, upset, broken, and day after day, he went to the water's edge and looked for his boat, but it could never be found again. One day he was in town, and walking along, he saw on the storefront his model boat he built. And he was so excited, he ran in, he talked to the store owner and said, that's my boat. And the store owner said, no, I bought that boat from a fisherman. And if you want it back, you're going to have to buy it at full price, like I had to buy it. And the kid didn't have any money. And so for months and months, he began to work at odd jobs and little jobs to earn enough money to go back to the store. And finally, he could afford to buy the boat back. The story goes, at last, holding his precious boat in his arms, he said with great joy, you are twice mine now. Once because I made you and twice because I bought you. This is a story of redemption of how we were created fell away and pursued our own desires, but we are twice his because he has bought us. He has redeemed us, bought us out of the slave market. Listen to a couple of these verses. First Peter chapter 118. You don't need to turn there if you can just listen. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, it says, Jesus entered into the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained an eternal redemption. Mark 10, 45, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. This is cause for celebration that we have been redeemed this morning. This is why we see over in Revelations, and we already sang this very song this morning that they worship him. And they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Later on, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying this, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. They understood what it meant to be redeemed. And that's exactly the same type of redemption that we have this morning. We have been bought, never to be sold into slavery again, but we have also been set free. So we've been given redemption. Secondly, we've been given forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of bailing somebody out of jail or something like that before. But you can bail somebody out of something bad. Maybe you go to the principal's office and you're getting your kid out of trouble. You just need a little parental help, right? 
You can go and bail somebody out of a situation, but on the way home, how is that car ride? Right? There can still be ill feelings there. Well, it's not that way with God when he saves us. It's not that he redeemed us, and now we have this awkward car ride back of we're in trouble, and we have to make it up to him. It's he bought us, redeemed us, but also there is complete forgiveness in this whole process. In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Praise God that he doesn't just redeem us, but then we're living in guilt under sin. We actually have complete freedom. And for many of us, that's really hard to understand. That we've been bought out of, but we are actually forgiven when God looks at us. When we look at ourselves, we may not see the redemption and the forgiveness that God sees. But that is a truth we have to cling to because he's been given to us. Listen to how the scriptures talk about our forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. Psalms 103. Isaiah 44, it says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sin like the morning mist. Jeremiah 31. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, at the Last Supper, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So what a joy that he bought us, redeemed us, set us free, but also is not just giving us the looks and the feelings of ill-wantedness, but actually has completely forgiven us. I want to ask us, why did he do these things? Why did he do that for you? That should come, bring you to an end of yourself of why would God do anything for us? When we know we have failed him, when we know we continually pursue after things, even though he's given us truth, even though he's redeemed us, even though he set us free from sin, we go back to sin many times. And he knew, he knew about that in the future. He knew when he was setting us free and he was setting us free from the sin not to go back to that garbage that we would run back to it. He knew all of that and he did it anyways with ill, not ill will towards us. Why would God save you? Well, let's continue looking in verse 7 back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to, what? The riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. This leads to point number three, overflowing grace. Carol got it right in the video. We were about to leave and Denny, the person I was with, uh, a member here or a tender here, he, he said, let's just wait for one more. Let's just wait for, for one more. And so we waited and Carol came along and we were talking with her. And we can, I encourage you to, to pray for Carol. She was down just for a couple of days and she was the one that said, you know, I didn't even ask her. She just said, listen, if it was up to me, if it was up to me, I would not be saved. But it's because God sought after me and it's by his grace. She was the one who said that. She just lost her home to a tornado 
the tornadoes that, that swept up the countryside, just lost a family member, just lost her home, and she has a broken arm. I mean, has a lot of things going on, but out of all the people I talked with, she was the most solid. She had the most joy. She had the most spark in her life because of her foundation in Christ. And she knew it was not based upon her circumstances. It was based upon God's goodness and favor that he has shown to her. And we have that access as a follower of Christ. We have been given overflowing grace. John D. Rockefeller was the richest man America's ever produced. I have a picture here, um, as was his custom. He would many times give away nickels to small children in the streets and dimes to adults. Walking through, unmerited, just give this out. And, and he could have given money two ways. He could have given money, one, according to his riches, or he could have given from his riches. This picture is one where he's giving from his riches. If you're a billionaire and you're giving a nickel, you're giving from. If you're a billionaire and you're giving according to how rich you are, you're not going to give a nickel. You're not going to give a dime. If he would have given this child according to his riches, this child would have never had to work and neither probably would a lot of his family down the line, right? Well, that's the same type of grace scriptures say was according to the riches of God's grace that we've been given this grace. It wasn't just a little bit. It was full access and how much access, how much grace does God have? Unlimited amount of grace. Charles Hodges says this, when God gives us grace in accordance to his riches, he gives from an unlimited treasure house. Grace is unmerited favor, an overflowing abundance of unmerited love, inexhaustible in God and freely accessible through Jesus Christ. So we've been given redemption, forgiveness, overflowing grace, and fourthly, spiritual discernment. This is what Carol had. She had spiritual discernment. Look in verse 8, in which he lavished upon us all wisdom and insight. That word wisdom comes from the Greek word Sophia. So if you know anybody named Sophia, you now know what their name means in Greek. But it means we can understand as humans important issues like life and death, God and man, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell, eternity and time. These are huge concepts that most of the world, even most of Marco Island, as I saw from this week, just talking with people, don't understand. They call themselves a Christian, but they have no idea what that means. But they call themselves one. And they want to talk about it. They want to discuss it. And you talk with them, they have no idea any about any of these things, but Carol did. And we can, and we can know these things because of why. He has lavished them upon us. We've been given wisdom, insight. That means we can actually have practical understanding and application to issues that go on in life. It's not just a, let's ask somebody their advice. No, we actually have the word of God truth to handle all situations in a spiritual, biblical way. We have access to that through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit so I, I kind of want us to see the progression. In verse 3, it says, God the Father's blessed us with so many things. And then in verses 4 through 6, just giving an overview, because this was one sentence, right? In verses 4 through 6, we're celebrating the past 
of what God planned for us. And he planned election, sanctification, adoption, and predestination. Those are things we celebrate that were done in the past. In the present, verses 7 and 8, we celebrate the blessings of redemption, forgiveness, grace, and spiritual discernment. And that leads us to verses 9 and 10, which is the future work of the Holy Spirit, the future work of the Holy Spirit. So look with me in verse 9. Make known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And as we mentioned earlier, this is not for the angels. This is for us, the redeemed. We get to take part in these things. That one day God is going to bring all this together for his good, for his glory, for his purposes. And we can be a part of that. What a mystery it has been. In the Old Testament, they were wondering what that was. In the New Testament, they were beginning to see it. But we can see clearly the mystery unveiled of what God was doing and what he has done for us. A few years ago, there was a short video clip called The Drawbridge. You might have seen this short video clip. And it it was a true story of a man who lived in Oklahoma who his son was pleading with him, please let me take me to work with you, take me to work with you. Finally, his father did. And it's a story that illustrates a couple of points in regards to God's love for us and the sacrifice of his son. I want to show a couple of minutes of this, and then we're going to talk about how this lines up with our message this morning. So let's take a look.
a heart-wrenching story that illustrates God's love. And while I don't want to diminish what that represents, and, and I'm, I'm thinking here of, you know, our son, and it's our first Mother's Day, and it will be my first Father's Day, thinking through that sacrifice. But church, you need to understand from what we've been learning in Ephesians, that video portrays a love, but it doesn't portray a love anywhere near what God has done for you as a follower of Him. It doesn't portray it at all because what you feel from God's love for you in that video is only a fraction of what that is. Well, why do I say that? Because it wasn't an accident. In the video, you you have a father and his son And he came to work with him, and he he fell into the cogs of this whole situation. It wasn't that way with Jesus Christ. It wasn't like he just got tangled up in our situation, in our mess. And then then the father is there, maybe going to pull the lever or not, and see if he's going to redeem us and save us or just let us crash and burn. It wasn't like that at all in regards to what Scripture actually tells us. It's a much greater love than that. When we watch that and we feel that love, we diminish what God has actually done for us because it's so much more than this. The cross didn't catch God offhand. It it didn't catch Him off guard of what do I do now. And it didn't catch Jesus Christ off guard either. I want you to listen very carefully what it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city, that is Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Listen to what it says next. Whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. God is saying that he put those men into power For his purposes. And then it goes on to say, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, he brought those people together. What for? Verse 28 to do whatever your hand, God's hand, and your plan had predestined to take place. Why did this happen? Why did God save you? According to his riches, of his grace. His purposes. When we understand He planned this whole thing out according to His plan and His hand predestined these things to take place, that's important for me to know that it wasn't just an accident, but that it was actually on purpose. Your salvation, your election, your adoption, your predestination, all of these things in chapter 1, God is saying it was on purpose. And when I understand that as a Christian, it brings tears to my eyes that God would think of me, that God would think of you. That's how we're supposed to understand what Christ has done for us. It was according to the perfect plan and the will of God. Your salvation was not an accident. It was brought about by God's perfect plan. And I know that this brings a whole lot of questions. I know this brings a whole lot of concerns and debates. But church, 
It shouldn't be. God is perfect. We are not. He has it figured out. We don't. And he saved us. Most importantly, he saved us. That's where our heart should always run to. When we get into a place of, how did this work? It should always run back to the cross. I don't know how it all works, but he did this for his riches, his glory, and I benefit from this. What an incredible, incredible privilege and gift. Some believe that God is complete sovereign in control of all things, and he did this work in us according to himself, his love, and his glory. While others believe that God looked down the the halls of history, and he's before time, he looks down the halls of history, and he sees maybe some, some of you or me way down here who choose him, and these people who chose him, they believe, are the elect, are the predestined, are those who are saved. That God looks down and says, oh, he's going to choose me, so now he's elect. That is, at this point in my life, something for myself difficult to swallow for a number of reasons. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that gives us that type of autonomy. We're, We're making those type of major decisions, and we have that type of control. But also, on another note, I hope and pray I don't have that type of autonomy. I hope that he is doing that work, and and I don't have that responsibility. And here's why. If God's love towards me, if God's love towards you was first wrapped up in your love towards him, and my love towards him, well, I'm I'm in deep trouble, if that's the case, personally speaking. Well, here's an illustration to kind of get this point across. Let's say I'm digging around in our closet at home. I'm trying to find something. And I come across a gift that's for a special occasion to me that my wife has got me. And let's say it is a nice gift. It is like she went over the top, very expensive, took a long time, excited. She did this incredible thing. I only got her a card for this upcoming thing, right? So what does a smart husband do, right? If I only got our card, a smart husband, I'm going to run and get a better present that's more comparable with her present because I, I found it in secret. Now, my question is, would that have been out of a love for her? Maybe a love for myself, right, if I go get that present, or it may be out of wisdom, but it's not out of a love for her. They'd say, oh, you just felt obligated to do that. Well, that's how I I think this whole thing, how I feel personally, if if God has to look down the halls of history to see who chose him before he chooses them, we're all of a sudden making God subject to our choice in loving him. And and I I hope that it is is not that way. And, And Carol already said it. If it were up to me, I would not be saved. What happens the days we don't want to love God, the days we don't choose to love God, as we often do? So I am very comforted and secure in his wisdom, his love, his desire, his planning. Listen, if it's all up to him, and and it's the other extreme, it's all up to him, what could possibly go wrong there? I mean, that's, that's where this whole thing, but regardless of where you land on either side of the issue, he saved you. Why did he do that? That's the type of God that we have. That's the type of God that we serve. Church, I hope you understand it wasn't an accident 
God knew from beginning of time what he was going to do, and he was doing it for his glory, his purposes. Church, I don't know where each and every single one of you are spiritually, but God does. And if you're feeling him tugging on you or some type of feeling inside of you that you need to get something right with God, then you need to handle that. Maybe you're, you're not a Christian and you're realizing for the first time God did something for you. You need to take care of that and you need to profess Christ, believe on him. Maybe you're a Christian and for the first time you're actually realizing that God loves you way more than you thought you did. Praise God for that. I want to I have everybody stand and I want to end in a time of prayer. And you spend time with God however you see fit thanking him, praising him, asking him to forgive you if there's something that you need forgiveness for. After the service, I'll be available right out back. You can grab me. I would love to meet with anyone who has any questions about anything or struggle going on. Let's pray. God, we do give you praise. God, we thank you where we read in Acts that you did these things and planned these things out, and even brought people into power, and brought people together for the very purpose of crucifying your son. It wasn't just an accident. It was so much more than that, according to your plan, your purpose, and your will. God, I find great joy in that, and it overwhelms me to think that you would think of me. God, when we leave this place Scripture says that you are in control of all things. Not even a bird falls to the ground apart from your will. Yet you thought of us. That should blow our mind and bring us to tears about the work you've done in us and how you pursue us and how you love us. That you do have every grain of sand numbered, but you still thought of us in our rebellion to you. You redeemed us. You forgave us. You've given us gifts of wisdom and insight. God, help us to glorify you in all the ways that you deserve to be glorified. God, we thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this time we've had this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.